we're going we're gonna to pray real quick. Um, I just want to say this. I have been a little bit of a Christmas grouch in the past, to be honest. And you can ask my kids. The shopping, the busyness, it seems like we had appointments all over the place. We're always going to get-togethers. There was always money to spend, and it was just like bananas. And I felt like I was just so mad because it was hard for me to get into the Christmas mood during the, it was hard for me to stay close to Christ in the middle of a whole season that's supposed to be about Christ. Have you guys ever had that experience? And last year, I started to think about how to reimagine Christmas, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. And my kind of conclusion is, I don't need to do less with Christmas. I might actually even need to do more with Christmas, but to fill what we do with a different meaning. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're gonna go message and our group. So let's pray together. Father, we are uh, excited to celebrate your gift in your son. Lord, we know how to throw good uh, birthday parties for one another. And cake and presents uh, and pinatas and friends and laughter and games. And Lord, we wanna celebrate you this season. I pray that your Holy Spirit would use our time in your word right now so that we can reimagine Christmas in a way that actually brings glory to you and draws us closer to you this holiday season. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So, the other day, uh, before I went to the ASU U of A football game, did you guys see that score? Go Devils, that's right. Before I went to the game, Julie uh, and the kids were like getting ready and they were, um, we were all kind of putting up our Christmas decorations and I was just like taking stuff out of the box and throwing them in, in different parts of the house. And then, you know, I put stuff on the piano and then Julie would go back that night and she would kind of make it look pretty. And so I'm throwing stuff out and I have this. This is, a, this is our, I brought it, it's our nativity scene. Do you guys have a nativity scene? And I had it and I started to set it up really quick and then I thought, now this, is, this feels like inappropriate to me to just like throw it together. So I just kind of like pushed it all to the back of the shelf and I figured Julie would get to it and set it up nice and neat and have a nice moment. And I came home from the Sun Devil's Victory at about 12, 15 at night and Julie's sitting there watching Hallmark all by herself with the lights down low and she's crying watching this love story, even though it's the same love story, just with different characters, right? They were going to lose the ranch, and then at the last second, somebody showed up and bought the ranch, and anyways, and uh, so we were talking, I'm like, man, everything looks amazing in the house, like this, it, it smells good, it looks good, the lighting's good, and she's so comfy on the couch, and she said, yeah, it was so much fun. I, you know, the kids had something to do. I was doing it all alone. She's like, you know what? I got a little bit teary-eyed setting up the nativity. And I thought, man, I feel like that's what, that's what our traditions should do to us, right? Is to bring us into this moment where we're overwhelmed with Christ and his birthday and the gift that came to the world. And it was actually my intention that I pushed it away. And I thought, when I get to this, I want to have a meaningful moment. And sure enough, Julie has this meaningful moment. And I want to try and bring you into that. So at least setting up the nativity every year, you can have like maybe a worshipful moment where you would have just kind of thrown the three wise men up there. Uh, you throw baby Jesus in the middle and there's, you know, some weird animals that I'm not sure they were even there at the scene and, and there, voila, you have it. 
So I'm going to kind of take you into the scene in Israel when I got to go this last year. I know I say that a lot, but here's, here's what they told me when you're in Israel. You won't realize the impact it has until you go back home and you read your Bible. And once you read your Bible after you've been there, like, it's going to come alive. And so I'm thinking today of, uh, of setting up this nativity with you guys, and I need to get my notes in the right order. That's what I was thinking, getting my notes in the right order. This is not what happens. Super embarrassing. Nine, ten. Why are they all backwards? Why does it go nine, ten, three, eleven? You guys are very patient. Thank you. Thank you. Jaden, I have a Christmas gift for you afterwards. That's not a lot. Who was that? All right, I think I got it. So I'm in Israel. We're in this cave, okay? So we're in this cave, and it's like a half cave, and it's black on the ceiling from fire. You guys ever, like, been camping, and you kind of go near a mountain, and it makes a stain on the mountain, you know, like above you. And we're in this cave, and you're overlooking this valley, and you have these earbuds on, and there's an Israeli guide, so he's someone that was born and raised in uh, Israel, and he has a microphone, and then you have a pastor who has a microphone, and you're just kind of like walking through the sites, and they're talking into this microphone, and you're listening, and you kind of like are just absorbing the moment all by yourself, kind of in your ears. And he said, now what we're looking at right here <coughs> is the place where the heavens opened up, and the angels uh, sang, glory to God in the highest, and they announced the birth of Christ. And my, my instinct always in Israel was like, how do you know that? You know, like, how do we know this is the place? And then as the Israeli guide began to talk about Bethlehem, Bethlehem was a few miles over the hill, and it was, uh, there was a lot of um, shepherding industry in Bethlehem. And he said, this is the perfect place to shepherd. And so you have all these rocky mountains all around, and then it opens up into this big, beautiful green pasture. And he said, so when the shepherds outside of Bethlehem are watching their sheep, uh, this is the place they would have been. And I thought, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, like, the nativity scene is, like, going through my mind, the shepherds that are out there watching, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what did it look like when an angel came to this place? And all of a sudden, there's, like, this movie, this real, like, real humans laying in this, and I'm picturing it all, laying in this cave with the fire going and the smoke and I can see it all happening. And then he says, interesting enough that this field is the same field if you know Bethlehem is the birthplace of King David. And when the prophet Samuel came to choose a king from Jesse's family, which is in Bethlehem, if you know the story, and, Sam, and um, Jesse is the man, and he presents all of his boys. And God had told the prophet that he was gonna make a king out of one of his boys. And, and Samuel said, Man, these are good-looking kids. Like, he's strong, he's big, he's handsome, all of this stuff. And none of them, Samuel goes, none of these are the king. Do you have another boy? He says, well, David, he's our shepherd boy. He's the youngest, but he's out in the fields. And this same field that we were standing in was David's fields right outside of Bethlehem. It's the only place where you can do shepherding near Bethlehem. Sheep herding, I think is what you call it. 
And I'm thinking here like, oh, King David, this is the very place that God said, David, you're gonna be my king. And this is the exact same place that God said the son of David, the promised Messiah is coming into the world and all of a sudden, like the Bible is just coming alive. So I wanna bring you into kind of this moment in nativity that we celebrate and kind of explain the characters and, um, and, and what's happening in history so you can get maybe a new appreciation for your nativity scene. And one of the things that came out of this was that God does supernatural things through very natural people. If you look at you know, my nativity scene, this is like the cute little shepherd. It's very clean, right? Uh, pretty maybe even you'd call it. The sheep is beautiful. And in reality, shepherds were the outcasts of the city. So if you can imagine, you guys ever been camping? Whenever I come, camp, I come back home from camping, Julie's not a huge camper, doesn't come with me, but when I come walk through the door, she's like, whoa, straight to the shower, right? Because you stink like a campfire, like sweat, like some sort of camping odor. And she sends me to the shower. Now imagine if I never showered and I hung out with sheep my whole life. Like shepherds really weren't even allowed into the city because they were so smelly. And this is who God chooses to use. Now, I'm trying to catch my, my notes. Give me one second. When I am, when I'm camping, there's something, if you guys ever experienced this, there's something about a campfire that you, your conversations just go deeper. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like when you're in a regular conversation, Sage and I are hanging out, and there's an awkward pause, right? And so Sage feels like, I gotta fill that awkward pause with just some like short talk. And then there's another awkward pause when we're done, and I gotta fill that awkward pause with another conversation. But when you're in front of a campfire, nobody fills the awkward pause. Because everybody's completely comfortable looking into the fire, aren't we? And everybody's just kind of standing there. There's like maybe three minutes, nobody says anything. And then the things that come out around the campfire are like deep and profound and thoughtful. Now the things that me and my friends talk about around the campfire are typically politics. Typically we'll talk about what's wrong with the world, what's right with the world. We'll talk about our kids, what's wrong with our kids, what's right with our kids. So I gotta imagine these guys have some pretty good conversations. There's no TikTok, there's no Graham, they're not taking selfies. They're not watching YouTube. They're staring at a fire every single night on the outskirts of the city, and they're talking. Now, if you know what's happening in history at this moment, we sing the song Silent Night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. And one of my professors says that is like the most inaccurate verse in history is that everything is calm and bright. You see, as the shepherds were watching their sheep in the distance, you can see Jerusalem. It's not very far from Bethlehem. It's all lit up at night. And on the outside of the, the walls of Jerusalem are crosses. And there's dead Jews hanging on those crosses. There's a lot going on at this time in history. The Romans are oppressing the Jews, and the, and the zealots are the men who, uh, and the Jews are saying, like, we need to take back our land. Well, this is the promised land of God, and we, don't, we can't even use our temple the way it's supposed to be used, and we got these Roman oppressors, and so they start taking out the Roman officials. They're stabbing them bow and arrow, 
these guys are robbing and stealing, and they are fighting against the Romans, and it would have been very likely that the shepherds, as they're watching this from a distance, are saying they're never going to do it. There's not very many zealots, and every time they cause a revolution or they cause any kind of movement, they end up on a cross outside of there. They might have talked about the Essenes, and the Essenes were the Jews that fled to the mountains, and they were just kind of hiding, and they were saying, we're waiting for Messiah. Once Messiah comes back to the city, then we'll come down from the mountains and we'll live with Messiah when God is back in the temple. And they could have talked about the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, their way of dealing with the Roman oppression was they were kind of saying like, guys, we don't need to fight the Romans. Let's just be Romans. Romans are rich and Romans are powerful. So let's just be Roman. They're letting us use the temple And in fact, the Sadducees are the ones in the temple making all that cash off of people worshiping. And it would have been very likely that those shepherds, as they look at Jerusalem, are rolling their eyes and they can't believe that these Sadducees have sold out to the Romans. And then you have the Pharisees. And it would have been very likely that shepherds would have talked about these guys. These are the like rule followers. And they are saying, if we want Messiah to come, then we have to obey the law. Everyone has to know scripture, and so they became very arrogant and harsh, and we know a lot about the Pharisees. But they would have known this, that all who resist Rome, all that feel the oppression of Rome, all that try and do anything to defeat it and win freedom, lose. Did you know that there were 12 Christs that came into town and they sang Hosanna, Hosanna and they laid down palms like Palm Sunday? 12 of them before Jesus. Every time there was a strong leader, the nation was like, finally, Messiah is here. And they would worship him when they'd come in and then the Romans would kill him and the movement would go silent. Every single time. And it would have been probably likely that around the fire, the fire, the, the shepherds would have gone through all the options of how are we going to get out of this mess. And I'm guessing it all came back to this. Somebody would say, it's the Christ. One of them would say, we've been saying that for 500 years, that everything that's wrong with the world is going to be solved through a Christ. The only one that can defeat the Romans is the Christ. But what do you think 500 years of waiting will do to somebody's hope? Like, I have to imagine that all of those prophecies seemed kind of like fiction to them. As they prayed, send us a Christ, send us a Messiah, a son of David from this very town, Bethlehem, that's going to defeat those Romans and set us free. Now, that's the shepherds. We're going to switch to the wise men. So here's my wise men. They're very handsome men, good beards. And we set these guys up every time. They got got gifts for baby Jesus. And it says we don't know a lot about who they are. Like the Bible says, the Bible calls them the magi. Does anyone know what that means? We interpret it as uh, wise men or kings, right? That's not... That's not what a magi is. First of all, where they come from, like modern day is like Iraq or Iran or Syria. They're coming from, they're coming from east of, the, um, of Israel. Now, if you read your Bibles, everything that is east of Israel 
is Jew-hating. They are pagan. They kill the Jews. They enslave the Jews. They're evil, godless. They kill babies. They sacrifice humans. I mean, these people in the Bible are always the ruthless people, okay? And who are the next people that get introduced to Christ? We call them Gentiles in the Bible, okay? These are the Gentiles. Now, if we could think of like a modern day, like what would, I was trying to think like, who would this people that they show up to worship Christ and you think, no, not them, not that person. And I thought maybe in like America, you have a scientist that's a, a secular humanist astrophysicist that is studying black holes and stars and like uh, the astrophysicists that say there is, they're trying to attack the Christian faith and they're in a very secular humanistic world. Did you guys know about those people? Right? And those people would be the people that you're like, no, they hate us and they show up to worship. That's who these guys are. They're coming from the worst place for a Jew, the godless people. And a magi is not a king or a wise man. It's more like a sorcerer, okay? These guys uh, would have like searched philosophy. They would have cut open animals and poured their guts out and they would read the guts and they would predict the future. They would look up into the stars and they would... Uh, they would track the stars and what's happening and they would tell the people what's gonna happen in the future based on reading this. We think of like palm readers. These are the type of men that they were. And when they see a star that has risen in the sky, they begin to follow it and they begin to ask questions and they start to read prophecies of the Jewish Old Testament and they begin to be convinced that the Messiah is coming. And so here is Bethlehem. Here is our shepherds outside of Bethlehem. And now on their way is now the three Gentile sorcerers following a star. And then you have Mary, and I'm gonna wait on Joseph. No, Mary is about 14 years old, okay? Probably a young, a young uh, teenage girl. She's from an area of town that's called Galilee, it's like rural, it's very uh, unimpressive. Like if you're impressive, you're from Jerusalem. And up in Galilee, so Jerusalem's down here, Galilee's up here, there's a, there's a sea and all these cities around it and it's kind of thought of as like Hickville. Like you're from the sticks. Like you're from, like around here it'd be like, um, I don't know, I don't wanna offend anybody. A small town, let's just call it that. So Mary's up there, she's part of a poor family. She's poor, she's young, she's betrothed to be married and they get married at like 16, so she's too young to be married, she's under 16. And she's engaged to a man named uh, Joseph. And Mary is confronted one day, and I'm gonna read now from Luke, Luke 1, it says, Gabriel, an angel, appeared to Mary and said this, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. But the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and you, have you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, which is Yeshua, which means Savior. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. She'd never been with a man. She wasn't uh, married to Joseph yet. They were engaged. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this be happen? And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, Mary's response is beautiful. She says, Mary responds, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel fled her. Now, immediately, Mary, a scared teenage girl in a poor family, in a poor part of the country, in an insignificant place, is automatically has to think, how am I going to explain this to my parents? I'm pregnant. And in this community, you would have been shunned and kicked out of the community and maybe even executed for what's about to happen. She goes to Joseph, and Joseph immediately thinks, great, the woman that I'm about to marry is pregnant. She's committed premarital sex with somebody else. And so he decides, instead of blowing the trumpet and telling on Mary, he decides to divorce her quietly and not make a scene. And as he's considering this, the gospel says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, from the family of David. His family's from Bethlehem. The angel said, do not be afraid and take Mary as your wife, for your child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son and you will name him Jesus, Yeshua, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, it's not hard for you guys to imagine teenagers getting this news and how freaked out they would be, right? Scared, what is the community gonna think? How are we gonna do this? What is God doing? What is he talking about? A king that will live forever is in my belly. How did I become pregnant? Meanwhile, they're up in Galilee. Bethlehem is the place where Messiah is supposed to be born. The kings, the, the, the wise men sorcerers are coming to the east. The shepherds are outside the city. How are they gonna get to Bethlehem and this baby Christ be born? Well, there's an emperor, Augustus, that is in Rome, and he is controlling the Jews harshly, and he tells everybody, you have to make a pilgrimage back to your hometown where your ancestors are from so that we can keep track of the Jews, so we know how many taxes, so we can control them. And out of this controlling, harsh emperor, David has, I mean, Joseph has to take Mary down to Bethlehem. Now, has anyone ever walked uh, from like Chandler to Tucson? Any of you guys ever done that? Nobody, nobody's walked from Chandler to Tucson? We got one person? So it's about 100 miles, about 110 miles from Chandler to, to the middle of Tucson, okay? So Joseph has to take his pregnant wife on about a 100-mile walk, and she is pregnant. And if you understood, you're leaving Galilee, which is lush and green and agriculture and beautiful, and you have to go through, like, severe desert and mountains and hills. Like, this is nasty, nasty desert. And for days and days, he takes his pregnant wife, two teenagers, probably 17-year-old Joseph and a 14 or 15-year-old Mary, on a colt 
making their way down to Bethlehem. Finally, they pull into town. Now, because of this decree that everyone had to go home, who's in Bethlehem? All of the descendants of David, all of the descendants of Jesse are all there, and every place to sleep is taken. And so they end up in a grotto, much like the one I was standing in, a cave where animals were held. No nurse, no hospital room, no midwife, no medicine, no family there to hold their hands, no one to comfort them. This is their first baby. They have no experience all by themselves amongst the animals. And Mary gives birth. Now, she looks like super sweet here, doesn't she? Like clean and sweet. Now, imagine you've just walked in sandals, pregnant, dehydrated for weeks from Chandler to Tucson, and then you give birth in like a nasty cave where there's animals. There's nothing really to clean up. God is doing something supernatural, and he's changing the world through the most normal and kind of grimy and earthy scene. The Magi are following the star, and they get to Jerusalem, and Herod says, basically, you need to go down to Bethlehem. That's where the king's going to come from, and so the Magi are coming, and then out in the field where I was standing, this scene happens, and this is our last scene. The night where the shepherds were staying, that night where the shepherds were staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks and sheep, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the glory of God sounded to them, surrounded them, and they were terrified. Can you imagine? The field is lit up, and an angel of the Lord reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Christ that you've been waiting for, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, which is just over the hill, in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign when you find a baby wrapped snuggling in strips of clothes, lying in a manger, which is a trough where the animals fed. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others and the armies of the heavens praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to those with whom God is well pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, we should go to Bethlehem. And they went to Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph in a nasty scene. Two scared teenagers without family waiting and the shepherds worship. When you set up this nativity, and when Julie did this, I want you to remember when you put out Mary, that God does supernatural things through ordinary people. And as confused as Mary was, and as scared as she was sometimes in your faith, you're gonna be scared and confused, and your life is going to be messy but when you follow God's plan and remember that his plan is to bring a savior to save the world, remain faithful. It's not clean. When you put up the shepherds, I want you to think of this. God sees all people. This is the lowest of the low. He honors those in low positions. 
They're not clean, they're stinky. They weren't even allowed into the city because they smelled so bad. And yet God honored the shepherds by allowing them to be the first to hear the news about the Christ. The last become first in the kingdom of God. The people that are avoided in our society are the people that God doesn't avoid. He honors those in low positions. When you put up the wise men, I want you to remember that no one is too far gone. The evil nations, the pagan nations that were killing babies and sacrificing humans, and the sorcerers of those nations are the second to hear the word that the Christ has come into the world. And when you have this thing up and, and Mary is in the center and Christ is in the center, I want you to worship. And when I stood in these places where Jesus was born, where Jesus was crucified, where the angels uh, announced these things to these people, there was a worshipful experience that came over me. And them in the story, in this real scene, fell on their knees and worshiped because the world was changing through these ordinary people. And I pray that when we set up this thing in the future, that just the scene of it would preach a sermon to us and draw us closer to Christ through that. And we're gonna go to our uh, communities. I'm gonna pray here. And then I, here's the conversation I'd love for you guys to have is what are the traditions that you love about Christmas and how can you reimagine those traditions in a way that brings us closer to Christ on his birthday celebration, okay? Let me pray for you. Father, you do supernatural things through natural people, and we are those that are natural and normal. I pray that uh, through following your son, our king, Jesus Christ, God, that we would see uh, the Gentile wise men in our lives, those that might even hate us, come to worship the king. I pray that we would see the lowest people, the shepherds, maybe those that are outcast. I pray that through our witness and our message about the king, that we would see the shepherds in our society, in our schools, come to know the king. And I pray for those that are in this room that feel like they might be too far gone, that they would have hope in setting up this nativity to know that this baby is the Christ child that paid for sin and saved people from their sin. Lord, and in the messiness of a Christian life, and I know mine has been messy, and it's been confusing that we can remember uh, Mary and her call to parent the Christ child in faithfulness, and I pray that would motivate us to do the same. In faithfulness, follow the Christ. And we pray in his name, amen.